This morning, if, um, if the Lord stirs your heart, you would like to give as part of worship. There's a couple of ways that, that, can, that you can do that. There's an offering box in the back between the, the doors. Uh, you can drop an offering in there and we'll receive it any time during the service. Or if you'd like to give electronically, you can do so on PayPal, uh, through PayPal, giving at agapepinson.com. You guys on the live stream can use that uh, to give if, if the Lord stirs your heart. Thank you to everyone who does give. Uh, to the ministry here, and allows us to do the different things that we're doing. Good to see everybody today. You guys all right? Yeah? Yeah? Quiet? Braving the cold before the cold? I uh, This has no spiritual value whatsoever. Uh, this is not a preacher trick. I'm just curious. Who would Who prefers to be really cold rather than really hot? Lamar? All right, so the rest of you just want to swelter, huh? That's 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 your preference. I I, I like I like the cold um, as long as I don't have to drive in it. So um, uh, maybe maybe it won't be too bad. It's good to see everybody again today. We're going to get into uh, the sermon this morning, and we're continuing in this series that we have called "Rooted and Growing." And this is uh, we're about halfway through this series. Uh, and we are looking at the essential nature of the church. That's what this series is about. And so before we get into really the topic for today, I want to kind of go back and look at some of the themes that we have seen in each of the previous messages. I think that there are at least three big themes that we have seen in each one of these uh, sermons that uh, has been looking at the essential nature of the church. And I think we'll probably see these same big uh, themes in the rest of the messages in this series. So if you have one of the worship guides, if you want to use that and take notes, there's some fill-in-the-blanks there you can use if you uh, if that is helpful to you. Uh, but theme number one that we have seen, I think, in each one of these messages is that God purposes for His church to grow. That, that it is the purpose of God that His church will grow. When I say it is the purpose of God for His church to grow, I, I don't just mean... Uh, that He intends for that to happen. But I think what we've seen is that God works to ensure that that happens. That God works for our growth. And I, I was struck actually last night looking at the prayer focus uh, for this previous week, the one that, that Rob felt led by the Lord to give us uh, for the past seven days, and it was from Psalm 92. And I'm just going to read it just as a reminder of what the prayer focus was. In the Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15, we read that the righteous will flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish. That's the second time we've seen that word. That word, by the way, means to break out or to blossom. You think of a plant breaking out of the ground and growing up to bear fruit. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. And they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare the Lord is upright, that He is my rock and that there is no unrighteousness in Him. So it's really this same imagery. The people of God are to be planted in the presence of God, in the house of God. And that the people of God will flourish. That is His intention for us. That we, as we've talked about in this series, that we grow up and we grow out. We grow up toward God 
and toward His kingdom, we grow out, impacting other people and bearing fruit. And Psalm 92 says that we'll bear fruit our entire life. That doesn't matter what season or how old we are in every season of life. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. We continue to bear fruit. And we will ever be green. So no matter what the circumstance, what the season, what's happening, whether it is a valley or a mountain, we continue to have green leaves and we continue to bear fruit. That is God's intention for us. And so we've looked at a particular passage several times in this series, Hebrews 10.14, that tells us that Jesus has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. If you are in Christ, you have been perfected and you are being sanctified, which we have defined as the work of the Holy Spirit bringing our nature and our conduct more and more under the influence of Jesus. And what I want to say to us today, and I thought about this statement a lot, but I believe that I'm going to say it with confidence, that this should be the great concern of our life. You might say, well, we're made to glorify God. Yes, that is true. I think our purpose in creation was worship. But as we've seen, in order for us to be sincere worshipers, we must grow up. In order for us to truly glorify God, we must grow and mature away from what is common and worldly and toward godliness. So every one of us, for all the cares of this life, for everything that we face, for everything that's on our mind, for all the hopes we have, for all the dreams we have, for all the troubles we have, for all the busyness we have, we must have the greatest concern of growing in godliness. We must have the greatest concern of growing up in Christ. We remember the words of Jesus. If you will put first the kingdom of God, everything else will be added to you. Too many times we reverse that. Too many times growing in godliness in the kingdom is last because we're so busy with everything else. And it must be this way for our church, that our great concern is to grow in godliness. A lot of times we talk about this in a church setting. God wants us to grow and our minds immediately go to numbers. And, and I, I want us to grow numerically. But I want that to be because we are growing out and impacting people for the kingdom. But you don't grow numerically by being focused on growing numerically. You focus on growth in godliness, and God adds to His church as you do that. So we can't get this out of line. So God intends, He purposes for His church to grow. Number two, the second theme we've seen is that in order to grow, the church must be centered on the Word of Christ and in the Spirit of Christ. For us to grow spiritually, the church must be centered on the Word of Christ and centered in the Spirit of Christ. So to grow up, we must be rooted down. That's what we've talked about. In order for us to grow up and grow out, we must be rooted. Think of that from the prayer focus last week. We must be planted. 
in the courts of God, in the house of the Lord. What is the house of the Lord? It's the temple. And in the Old Testament, that was a building. In the New Testament, the place where people meet with God is Jesus. Jesus is the greater temple. And so when we talk about being planted in the house of the Lord, we're talking about being planted in Jesus. And in that imagery, our roots go down into Christ, which means Jesus gives us spiritual life. That's what he meant when he said that he's the bread of life. He provides for us. He gives us nutrients and strength, just like the roots of a physical tree. It's what keeps it alive. Our roots go down into Christ. He keeps us spiritually alive. Now, that's a great image, but what does that practically mean? Like, how do you go and apply that? What does it practically mean to be planted and rooted in Christ? And I think it means the two things we just mentioned. Number one, we are centered on His Word. Jesus is the Word of God that became flesh. So we need to center our lives on Him, and we do that by centering our lives on His Word. We read His Word, we hear His Word, we learn His Word, we teach His Word, we make His Word central to everything. I mean, parents in this room, we've all said this to our kids, right? God gave you common sense. Use it, right? That's not true. I'm not telling you kids to throw that back in your parents' face next time they say that, but God really didn't give us common sense. What God gives us is a supernatural understanding of life, and that comes one way, by His Word. We are to center everything on His Word. We are to do that personally, and we've talked about that we must do that corporately. We must do that in the church. When we come together, we set center everything on His Word. And we center our lives on His Word and in His Spirit. What does that mean? I want to show you a, a passage. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you'll go to 1 Corinthians 2 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is writing his first letter to the church in Corinth. And in verse 6, he's talking about his ministry and the ministry of the apostles among the saints. And he says, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Let me just pause there and say, that's what I mean by we can't live by common sense. We can't live by the wisdom of this world. We must live differently. And that's what Paul is saying. Verse 7 we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understand this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 
And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. And what does this mean for us? Now, we, we believe certainly that the apostles had a very unique mission. And they were writing, and they were hearing from the Spirit of God, and they were writing what they were hearing, and that has become what we call the canon, the, the final collection of all of God's words that He wants to give to us, to the church, and to the world is revelation. So we don't believe the Spirit still speaks in that way in which we are adding to the Bible. That is not how the Spirit speaks today, but He still speaks. He still does this ministry. He still searches the depths of God. The Spirit of God still knows the thoughts of God. And the Spirit of God still imparts to us teaching and helps us to understand the things freely given us by God. And everything that He shares with us and teaches us is in line with the Word, the written Word. Everything that He shares and gives to us will be in line with that. But if you want to know what God thinks about your life in particular, ask that the Spirit would reveal that. How I believe we center our lives in the Spirit is we pray. We pray. We pray. We pray. And we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the depths of God. Someone could just pick this book up and just read and read words, and it just be words. But what we know is that the, the reality of this Word is that it is from God, and it is living, and it is active, and we can ask the Holy Spirit to search His depths and teach us these things. So to plant our lives on Jesus, to have our roots go down into Him, means we center everything on His Word and re- rely on His Spirit to teach us and to show us the depths. That's why I think it says of the early church in Acts 9 that the early church was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of His Word, the wisdom of His Word, and continually being moved and led and comforted by the Spirit. And Acts 9 says that out of that, the church multiplied in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So we see that God wants the church to grow. We see we can only grow on the Word of Christ and the Spirit of Christ. And then theme number three, this growth happens in the context of the local church. Growth happens in the context of the local church. We went over this. We're going to keep going over it. There is no picture in the Bible of an individualistic Christianity That is something that we have come to believe and embrace and teach in America because we are people who enjoy individual freedoms and we enjoy just being able to do our thing. And so we've come up with cliches that we can be a Christian but not be part of the church. We need Jesus. We don't need the church. And Jesus doesn't allow those to be separated. He saves us in the context of a local church. He plants us in the context of a local church for us to be a part of that church and grow in it. It's interesting in the Gospels, in Matthew 24, 12, Jesus tells us something. 
about the end of the age. He tells us that as we get closer to the end, that something's going to happen. And that that something is that lawlessness, moving away from God and His commands, even a general belief in them, will will increase. And as lawlessness increase, increases, Jesus says that the love of many will grow cold. In this day, do we see the love of many people growing cold? In this day, do we realize that even in ourselves, we have to fight to keep our love for people from growing cold? Jesus tells us that will happen. And then He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So church, while everyone else is increasing in lawlessness and their love is fading, if you will endure in love, if you will endure in Me, you will be saved. So compare that to what we've already seen in Hebrews chapter 10. Remember where we started this series? Remember back in Hebrews 10 that we started the series and the writer of Hebrews was telling us that the closer we get to the end of the age, we should do what more and more? Gather. Assemble. As you see the end approaching, get together more. Gather more. And why? To provoke one another to love and good works. So do you see that picture? The world grows lawless and their love grows cold. And what does the church do? The church gets together more and more and more to stir in one another love and good works. The opposite of what is happening in the world. And so you and I need desperately one another. We will endure to the end and be saved only together. Only in that community of faith that God has called us to. This is a non-negotiable of the Christian life. We have to have each other. And we have to have the exhortation that comes from one another. And so those are three big themes that we've seen in the first half of the series. And I think we will see those same Big themes in the second half of the series. Even today, as we get into another reality of the church, just as we are rooted and growing for worship, just as we are rooting, rooted and growing for holiness, we are rooted and growing for unity. And that's what we're looking at today. So what do we mean by unity? And, and it may seem like it's simple to us. We may think, well, I, I know what that means, but I want to challenge us just a little bit this morning whether or not What comes to our mind when we think about unity is the correct biblical concept of it. Unity is a state of being undivided. So certainly being unified means you are not divided, so it's a state of being undivided. But it also involves both oneness and harmony. Unity is being undivided involving both oneness and harmony. So I want you to think with me for just a moment. Let's go back to Genesis for a second. It's the start of, of everything that we're dealing with, right? In the beginning, God created everything in harmony. It was in unity. People were in harmony with one another. Mankind and nature in harmony with one another. 
mankind and God in perfect harmony with one another. And then what happened? Sin. Mankind chose to embrace not God as their satisfaction, but they wanted to seek out satisfaction in created things. They wanted to not just trust God to tell them what was right or wrong, but they wanted to reach out and be God and be able to decide on their own what was right or wrong. And sin entered the world at that point and everything was disrupted, including harmony. Right after sin, you see the harmony between man and woman, between mankind, disrupted. They immediately hide themselves from one another. You see the harmony between man and nature disrupted. You see the harmony between man and God disrupted. So everything that we deal with that relates to division is centered or sourced in sin and the beginning of the fall of man. Think about our first reading this morning with that in mind, that God created everything in perfect harmony, and that sin has destroyed that harmony and created division. And you have this picture from John 17 that Sam read for us. And Jesus at this moment is preparing for His arrest and what He knows will be His death. And He is praying. And He is praying for us. He's praying for His immediate disciples and He's praying for the church to come. And he says, God, I don't just pray for these only, talking about the 11 disciples that remained, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about us. Every person that has come to believe in Jesus because of the word of God and the New Testament letters that came from the apostles. So I'm praying for them that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. This is what was on Jesus' mind and His heart before His arrest and death, that the church would be one, that we would have oneness and harmony, that we would have a return to how it was in the beginning. And he even says that I want this to happen so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus says the great apologetic for the gospel will be the unity of the church. If the church and the people who claim to be of God and who claim to love Jesus and belong to Him, if that church is in division, if that church can't get along, if that church hates each other, then how is that proof that God has loved the world? So maybe we can understand why the enemy works so hard to divide the church. Maybe we could understand why the enemy works so hard to get us out of unity and oneness with one another. 
Because there's more at stake than just our pride. There's more at stake than just personal relationships. The very evidence of the gospel is on the line. I want them to be one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know you sent me and love them even as you love me. So Satan tries to sow seeds of division. And he does this so that, in part, God is robbed in theory of glory from His church and the evidence of the gospel. Think about the early church for a moment. Acts chapter 2, very famous passage about the early church. Acts 2 verse 42 speaks of the church and it says, "...the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers." And he goes on to say, "...and all who believed were together." And they had all things in common. Doesn't that sound like oneness and harmony? But just to show the depth of their oneness, it goes on to say, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Imagine for a moment that people in the church, if someone in this church hears of a need that someone else is having and they think... I. Man, they, they are in a desperate spot. I, I, I don't have anything I can give them. I don't have any money. I tell, I tell you what, I'm going to go sell this car that I have. I'm going to go sell this extra car. I'm going to, I'm going to go sell this electronic device that I just bought. And I'm going to sell this and I'm going to give them the money. That's the type of oneness that we see in the early church. And then day by day, Not just once a week, but day by day, they're attending the temple together. They're breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. They praise God, and they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those being saved. A picture of oneness and harmony. But you know what happens? Just a few verses later, the enemy sows sin. Because just a few passages later, we're told that there was a family in that church. Ananias and Sapphira. And they heard that people were selling property and possessions and giving it to those who were in need, so they did that as well. But when they sold their property and they brought it to the apostles and gave it to them and said, Hey, here, we sold everything we have. Take this and and, and distribute it. But the truth was, they had sold everything they had, and they had brought it before the church and said, it's all here, but they actually had lied. They had kept some of it for themselves. The problem wasn't that they had kept it for themselves. The problem was they had lied. They wanted to make themselves look really, really good. That was prideful but they actually wanted to keep a lot of it for themselves. That was greed. And out of that sin, both of them died. And the church was put in great fear. So what's the point to that? Just as only God can initiate worship, just as only God can initiate holiness, 
Only unity can come from God. Sin is the great divider. Sin disrupts, it brings chaos, and it separates the church. And where there is oneness and harmony and where the gospel is being affirmed, you can be guaranteed that the enemy of the church and of our souls will look to sow seeds of discord. If they can do it in leadership, if they can do it in membership, wherever wherever the enemy and his kingdom can sow division, he will. I want you to keep that in mind. Even after today, try to remember that wherever there is division, there's sin. It doesn't matter if it's a marriage that is troubled and dealing with difficulties and division. Somewhere, the root of that division is sin. If there is a church that is divided and dealing with infighting and difficulties, somewhere at the root of that, their sin. And also we need to keep in mind that our very nature leans towards sin, which means that our very nature leans toward disunity. Unity is not something you'll just stumble into. It's not something that, that'll just happen because our very nature leans toward the thing that causes disunity. So unity is something that we must strive for And we must fight for, but we have to strive for it rightly. It's not enough to just try to reach out for unity. We must do it in the right way. And let me tell you why I say that. Go back to the definition of unity for a moment. I said that unity is a state of being undivided. And it involves both oneness and harmony. All right, church, here's the reality. We try to manufacture unity all the time, and we fail at it. Because true unity, what we're talking about, only comes from God. So let me let me try to explain what I mean. We put ourselves, we're inside of a, of a church, or, or it could be a family as well, but we're somewhere in, in a biblical context, and we say of ourselves, all right, that person over there, that group of people over there, you know what? I don't hate them. I'm I'm not mad at them. I I don't want them to fall off a cliff or anything. I just don't really want to be around them. So I'm just going to stay around them because if I go around them, I'm probably... And I'm sorry I'm pointing on this side of the room. If I go around them... I'll point at these people for a while. If I go around them, uh, we'll probably just... You know, we're just gonna, it's gonna create separation and we're gonna have difficulties. So, you know what? For the sake of unity, I'm just going to stay away. See, we try to manufacture it and we just missed it. Because, yeah, we're not divided, but we're not in oneness and harmony. Let's reverse it for a moment. Sometimes we try to manufacture unity through oneness and harmony. In the church, we design programs. We create plans. And our intention is to bring people together based on the season of life they're in. They come into a church. It's nice to meet you. How old are you? We really probably don't ask that, but you try to figure it out. Oh, you're in your 20s. We have a 20s group. You should go to that. 
We have a teenage group. You should go to that. We have a senior adult group. You should go to that. You have to be very careful there, but you know what I mean. Or we do it based on common interest. You like to play golf. We have a small group that meets to play golf. Or we do it based on experience and circumstances. You're married, have kids, we have a group for you. You're divorced with kids, we have a group for you. You're single, we have a group for you. Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying for a moment. I I don't mean to tell you that it's bad to gather with people who have similar experiences or in a same season of life. I don't mean that. But I want you to understand that what we do when we try to create oneness and harmony through shared seasons of life or shared experiences, we may find some level of harmony, but we've just divided the church. Are you an early riser and you like hymns? We have an 8.30 service for you. You don't even know what morning is and you like contemporary songs? You have We have an 11 o'clock service for you. And we try to create oneness and harmony and we completely divide the church in the process. So my point to us is, all we really know how to do is stay away from people we don't get along with and are not like us and huddle up with the people that are just like us. And that's not unity. It's not unity. There is nothing wrong with having friendships. Nothing wrong with having friendships in the church. I want you to have that, but do not mistake friendships for unity. Unity is being undivided in harmony and oneness, and it is not possible for us to manufacture it. It must come from God. God must grace us with unity. So how do we strive for it? How do we strive for unity? Because it's the same thing as everything else we talk about. God gives us holiness, but we don't just sit and wait for Him to zap us with holiness. Same thing with unity. Unity comes from the Lord, but we must strive for it. So how do we do that as we strive for it in His power? And so I want to try to pull some truths from this text from Philippians. Um. This is not an all-inclusive teaching on unity. There's so many Scripture passages that talk about unity. and But I thought it would be good for us to pick a text and just try to mine some understanding from that text about how we strive for unity together. So in Philippians, and if you have a Bible or a Bible app and you want to go there, we'll look at a just a big overview real quick, from Philippians 1 up to the point where we are in the sermon text. Paul Paul is writing this letter. He's writing it to the church in Philippi. It's a Roman colony. It is probably one of the first churches that Paul established. And as Paul is writing this, we believe that he is imprisoned probably in Rome, and he is writing this letter to this church that he cares so greatly about. And he tells them up front, I'm imprisoned, but I I want to give you good news of why I'm rejoicing. The gospel is advancing even in my imprisonment. 
There are Roman guards who are hearing, or the, the guards who are watching over me, they're hearing of my imprisonment, and they're hearing of Jesus through my imprisonment. And as well, there's people in the church that are being made more confident to speak the Word of God because of my imprisonment. And he also tells them that that they should not mourn because he expects soon to be delivered. He tells them, I expect to be delivered either by being set free or by dying and receiving the freedom of going to be with Christ. And he actually tells them that he isn't quite sure which one he wants. Part of him just wants to go be with Jesus. Paul has seen the risen Christ. He loves the risen Christ. And he suffered a lot for the gospel. And part of him, he just wants to go be with Jesus. And he even says that would be the best thing. And he says, but I also know that if I stay, it'll be good for you. It'll be good for your faith and your progress in the faith if I stay. And this is where he utters the very famous passage, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And it is as he's telling them that he expects that what God is going to do is keep him alive, set him free, that he might help the church continue to progress in the faith. And that is where we pick up in verse 27 in the text that we read this morning. And so from this text, let us look at some keys to attaining unity and how we strive for it as a church. Number one, unity grows through maturity in gospel living. Unity grows, first and foremost, not by trying to get unity, but by trying to become more godly. The more we strive to grow in Christ, the more unity will come. So what did Paul say in verse 27? Only, church, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The Philippians, it's interesting because Paul, where where we have it in our translation, let the manner of life be worthy of the gospel, in the Greek it is actually more literally behave as citizens that are worthy of the gospel. And there are some commentators who believe that the Philippians were really proud of being Roman citizens. They loved that. And all the, the honors that came with being a Roman citizen. And so Paul is telling them, perhaps because there's division in the church, the citizenship you need to be proud of is the one that leads you to live worthy of the gospel. The citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul urges them, order your life properly. Live maturely. So here's what we can learn from this. Church, there is a way for us to live out the gospel. The gospel is is not just the good news to hear. It certainly is that. But then we live out the gospel. We live out God's Word. We live out the truth that Jesus made Himself a servant on our behalf. That impacts us and how we should live. And when we live out the gospel, that invites unity. Husbands and wives in this room, if we live out the gospel, it invites unity in our marriages. 
Parents in this room, if we live out the gospel, it invites unity among our Christian family, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. And just like that, there is a way to live that invites disunity, where we don't live the gospel. If we're not maturing and growing in the faith, we're not going to mature and grow in unity. That is why Jesus prayed for His church to walk in unity just like He and His Father are in unity. Unity is rooted in holiness. The less sin nature, the more we are like Christ, the more unity comes. Number two, unity grows through increased knowledge. Unity grows through increased knowledge. Look again at verse 27. Let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind. And this is one of several places where Paul mentions having the same mind. One spirit, one mind. When I say that unity comes through an increased knowledge, I don't just mean facts. I don't mean just knowing more of the Word, but I mean knowing more of the Word and being transformed by it. One spirit, one mind. In the church, growing in our knowledge of the Word together and growing in being transformed by that Word. Romans 12.1, remember that passage ties in our minds being transformed to growing in holiness. Acts chapter 2, what we saw earlier when I read that passage, they were in oneness together as they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The more we as a church, the more we as Christians in marriage come together around God's Word and grow in our knowledge of that Word and grow in living that Word out, the more we will have unity. The church is always going to be filled with different ideals, different preferences, different personalities. The church is always going to, like any family, have conflict. But the more we have centered ourselves on the teaching of the Word, the more we will have unity in spite of those things. And one more thing I want to say about this. When we talk about growing in knowledge, unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean sameness. It doesn't mean that we're all just growing to think just alike or approach everything just alike. It does mean that we're growing more and more in agreement about the principles of God's Word and how we apply it. And I believe that is the type of agreement that only God can bring. The type of agreement that He helps us to grow into. If you really dug in here in this church, there are so many base core truths that we believe in. But there are other things that we somewhat view differently. But we talk about those things. We discuss those things. We learn from each other. And the more we do that, the more we will begin to come to one mind. I've been blessed with a lot of different men that have come in and out of my life over the years that I've walked with in ministry. And some of them I'm still walking with. Some that I've 
I've been in some type of partnership with for 10 or 15 years. And I can tell you that if I look back 10 or 15 years ago at some of those guys, I'll say we had some level of agreement and unity, but not as much as we have today. And what I see that has happened is that we've all grown in our knowledge and our understanding of God and His Word. And God changes us, and we grow in unity as He does. Our problem is often we cut and run too soon. Even in marriages, we give up. Rather than try to come together around God's Word, we're quick to give up. We have to be careful about that. Number three, unity grows through shared experiences of mission and persecution. It grows through shared experiences of mission and persecution. That's what Paul said. I want to hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. He is telling the church together, don't be scared of those who would persecute you. He's telling the church together, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. As we go on mission together, as we understand and embrace what God is calling us to, and as we support one another in that, we will see increased unity. As the church is persecuted for their faith, for their beliefs, and as we address that together, in truth, in love, we will grow in unity. It's one of the reasons I've preached probably to where some of you are tired of it over and over and over again that politics are fine. We should pray for our leaders. We should understand what's happening in our culture. We should be involved. But it is not the most important thing. We're not going to preach about that here. We're not going to talk about that to any great depth other than just how do we address a fallen world and how do we approach things like presidential elections or, or people who have different political views. How do we deal with that together? Because if we bring politics into the church and we make that central in the church, we're divided. We come together in unity around God's Word and love of His Word, and mission together in His Word. Number four, unity grows through increased care for one another. Paul says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, it's almost like he's asking them, do you see these things? If there's any encouragement in Christ... In your church, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection, if there's any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love. Think the same in terms of growing together in knowledge of God and being transformed by the Word together and increase in your love for one another. He goes on to say in, in verse four, excuse me, verse three, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also the interest of others. He's telling the church, care for one another. 
If there's someone in a church and you say, personality-wise, I just don't get along with them, we, we, we have conflict from time to time that we have to work through, here's the core, here's the base that you should be able to say about anybody, I care for their soul. I want their soul to be healthy. I want them to know and love Jesus. I want them to grow in being nurtured spiritually. And Paul says, increase in that. Increase in being concerned in loving one another. Be concerned for one another's souls. And as you do that, unity will come. Want what's best for each other in Jesus. And finally, unity grows through an attitude of humble service. This is going to lead us into next week because for the next couple of weeks we're going to be talking about rooted and growing to serve and being empowered in service by the Holy Spirit. But look at what Paul says in these verses. Have this mind among yourself, church, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's the only way you can have this mind is in Christ. Be like Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. If you take notes, underline emptied Himself. That word emptied means He denied His rights. So think about what Paul is saying. Church, think this way. Be ready to deny yourself what's rightfully yours. Be ready to deny what is fair to you in order to show deference to someone else. This may be as simple as They owe me an apology. And I'm not going to have anything to do with them until they apologize. Paul says, you may need to deny your right to an apology in order to try and bridge a gap. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't apologize to each other or repent to one another. But in order for us to grow in unity, there will be times where we have to empty ourselves, where we have to deny what is rightfully ours. And in doing that, we are not saying... In doing that, we're not belittling ourselves. We're being like Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who first emptied Himself. And in a church or in a family... In any biblical group where there is an attitude of humble service that begins with the leaders and flows throughout all of the church or of that group, where there is an attitude of humble service, of denying your rights in order to lift someone else up, that is an environment that unity grows in. So my 
my point this morning is not we shouldn't try to resolve conflict. We should. We talked about that last week to a degree. We exhort one another with truth and love. But I do want to show us from the Word that often the way we get to unity is not by just trying to aim for unity. Because sometimes when we try to aim for unity, we try to manufacture it. What we can do is aim to grow in gospel living, to grow in knowledge and transformation of the Word, to grow in a shared experience of mission, or to go along someone else in the church who's being persecuted. If someone in this church loses their job because they're a Christian, all of us have been persecuted. And we are to come alongside of them to help them. We grow through caring for one another in an increased way and serving one another in an increased way. And if we're doing that in the church, I believe unity will grow. Unity will be a byproduct of that. Unity will grow as holiness grows, as we grow away from that which is common and toward that which glorifies God. So this morning we're going to end in worship and prayer. If you guys in the booth, if you all grab those lights, it would be great. Um, I want to invite you to consider something as we move to pray together for a few minutes and to worship. Number one, Unity begins with a relationship with Christ. The things that we've looked at this morning, that sin disrupts harmony. Sin disrupts everything. No matter how pleasurable or great it may seem, sin ultimately disrupts everything. And the cure for sin is to come to Jesus. Jesus says to us, follow me. So this morning I ask on the live stream in this room, Have you ever come to a time and a place where you following Christ? And not a one-time decision that you made, but with your whole life and your heart, you are trying to follow Jesus. And if not, if you've never done, come to that place of understanding of a need to follow Him, or if you started down that road, but something has happened, and spiritually you are in a place of wandering or confusion... I ask, as I always do, don't leave here today without talking to someone. Let us know that. You can come speak to me. You can speak to one of our other leaders. If you come talk to me, I'll get your information, and we'll talk this week, maybe even this evening. We'll talk about your relationship with Jesus. And I'll also ask you to consider, where is there division in your life? And would you ask the Spirit of God to show you the sin that may be the root of that? Perhaps your own or sin in someone else that you need to pray about. Would you be willing to consider that this morning and how we can grow in unity as a church?